Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Neurological Deep Dive Podcast. My name is Don. I'm going to be your host today. And what I want to talk about is this topic. Which Jesus are you believing and following? Most churches in America and throughout the world are promoting a false Christ or they are misrepresenting the true Christ. So we're going to take a deep dive into this topic. Hopefully you can stay with me. It's very, very important that we understand who the true Jesus Christ is. Now, there is only one true Lord Jesus Christ. This Jesus is a true historical figure who lived on earth about 2,000 years ago. He taught the true ways of God. He never once committed a sin. He did many miracles that many people witnessed. He rose again bodily after he was put to death on a Roman cross. The only reliable source that tells us about the true person, the true character, miracles, the true sayings, the true teachings, and the true laws of Jesus Christ, the only reliable source is the Holy Bible. The Bible is made up of 66 books, 39 books in the Old Testament, and 27 in the New Testament. The Holy Scriptures have been preserved through the ages and are now preserved without error in English in our authorized version. That would be called the King James Version. In order to find out who Jesus is and what he taught, we must rely totally upon the Holy Scriptures, which in English are the King James Version. These scriptures clearly state that there is only one Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only begotten Son of God, the only Savior of the world, and the only mediator between God and men. In John chapter 14, verse 6, we read, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we read, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5, it says, There is one Lord, there is one faith, one baptism. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, we read, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So this is all from the Bible. We that's where we've got to get our information from. To believe and follow a Jesus that is different from the one represented in the Bible is to believe and follow a false Jesus. Any mental image of Jesus that is contrary to the Holy Scriptures is an idol. To love and worship a false Christ is to love and worship an idol. And to worship an idol is to worship a devil. For all idolatry is devil worship. 
for proof of this assertion, I'd like us to turn to a few scriptures. One of them is Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 16. It reads, They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. And verse 17 says, They sacrificed unto devils, not to God. To gods, with a small g, whom they knew not. To new gods that came newly up whom your fathers feared not. So you could see here that they sacrificed unto devils and not to God. In other words, they sacrificed unto gods. And those gods is another word for idols. In Psalm 106, we read something else that talks about devil worship uh, being idolatry or idolatry being devil worship. And I'm beginning to read Psalm 106, verse 36. It says this, And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Now, notice that they shed innocent blood. Uh, we see this taking place today in the abortion industry. When uh, You're probably wondering, why is it that some people are so adamant about keeping abortion legal in America? Well, the reason why is because when people, and, and I'm not saying everyone does it for this reason, but there are some that are keeping the abortion industry alive because they are worshiping Satan and they are sacrificing children. And these, when, when they're sacrificing children, they're sacrificing those children unto their God, who would be Satan. And they're doing this to appease their God and or to please their God. And if they serve Satan, then Satan will give them pleasure power, money, all kinds of things. And this is the trade-off. And what they're doing is they're trying to appease the devil. And the more you follow Satan, you will find that probably the more money you may get or the more fame and the more pleasure, uh, the pleasures of this world and things like that. And, um, but it is a very, very dangerous road. So, idolatry is devil worship. Now, I'm going to continue reading in Psalm here, uh, 106. It says, Thus were they defiled with their own works, and went a-whoring with their own inventions. Think of all the inventions that, are, that people have invented in the last hundred years. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his inheritance. And he gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they that hated them ruled over them. Guess who's ruling over America right now? It's basically those that hate us, and they're ruling over us. And why? It's because we've been ignoring God, 
We've been defiling ourselves with our own works. We've been um, living in sin. And because of that, uh, we're finding that people who hate us are actually ruling over us. So I said all that to just show that idol worship is truly devil worship. And you see it again in, in Revelation chapter 13. And I believe it's verse 5. And I'm turning there right now. It's actually verse 4. And listen to this. It says, And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? This beast, uh, it's, it's basically an animal. It's an animal kind of a man. It's a monster. It's, it's a real man. He's called the man of sin in some places. Or in one place, he's called the man of sin. And he's also called the Antichrist. Well, they worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. The word dragon there is definitely referring to Satan. And you can see that by turning to Revelation 12, verse 9. It says, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So the dragon is Satan. And it's the dragon who's giving power unto the beast, because the beast is worshiping Satan. So Satan worship is going to be on the rise more and more if we don't turn around and if we don't turn to Christ. But again, you can see that idolatry is really Satan worship. Since we are instructed to keep ourselves from idols, and since all idolaters shall have their part in the lake of fire, it behooves us to make sure we are getting our information about Jesus and his teachings from the Bible and not so much from respected Bible teachers. In Romans 3, 4, we read, Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. This infers that the words of God must be given far more weight than the words of authoritative teachers. This verse is basically saying, compared to God, every man is a liar. That's why we've got to always trust God. And the only way to trust God is to trust his written word. The Lord Jesus warned that in the last days prior to his second coming, false Christ would appear and deceive, if possible, the very elect. Now, the very elect means the true believers. I quote now from Matthew 24, verse 24. It says, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. A false Christ could be a false anointed one. Because the word Christ means anointed one. And how many preachers do you hear on the radio, TV, all over, who claim in pulpits on Sunday morning, who claim and believe and everybody thinks that they are the anointed of the Lord 
while they're speaking. Well, the only way you know you are anointed by Christ is if you are teaching the words of Christ and not deceiving anyone. So um, a false Christ could be a false anointed one, or it could be a false representation of the true Christ. And that we have taking place in America right now in many, many pulpits. They're misrepresenting the true Christ. Many have a perception of Jesus Christ that is not accurate. Many misunderstand Christ's sayings, his actions, and his commands. So to believe that Jesus said something when in fact he did not say it or imply it is to believe a false Christ. The true Christ never lied, never taught false doctrine. So if we believe a lie or if we believe a false doctrine and claim that it comes from Jesus, then we are really misunderstanding him and we are misrepresenting him. We're believing a false Christ. You know, there are many things that people think Jesus said or people think that Jesus is okay with and he really is not okay with these things. For instance, Jesus is never okay with divorce, whether it's coming from a man or a woman. And especially does he never even come close to okaying if a woman would divorce her husband, especially so. There's not one hint in the Bible that okays the right or gives the right of a woman to divorce her husband for any reason whatsoever. Now, that is absolutely clear. But it's also clear that a man has no right to divorce his wife. Some people think Christ is okay with women wearing pants or cross-dressing. The answer is that's not right. Christ is not okay with that. And he's definitely not okay with men wearing women's clothing. Some think it, uh, Jesus is okay with a woman assuming a leadership position over men. Christ is not okay with that. If you're, a lot, if you're given a promotion and you're a woman and you're going to be in a position of authority over some man, then God does not want you to assume that position. It's not God's will for a woman to do that. Um, some think it's okay for women to disobey their husbands or to ignore the wishes of their husbands. And no, it's not okay. Um, the only time a wife has the right to disobey her husband is if her husband asks her or, or requires her to commit a sin or to violate her own conscience. Something think that uh, it's okay to ignore the right of civil governments to practice capital punishment. The answer is no government has the right to ignore the law of God that pertains to capital punishment. Christ says, and uh, the Old Testament clearly says, and Christ does not go against the Old Testament. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And the, the ruling of capital punishment is taught many times in, in the Old Testament and even uh, corroborated in the New Testament. Some people think 
that Jesus is okay with the belief that once you're saved, you're always going to be saved. And no matter if you sin after you're saved, you're still going to be, you're still secure in your salvation. Well, that Jesus is not okay with that doctrine because Jesus does not teach that. Jesus teaches the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Jesus says those that shall be saved are those that endure unto the end. So if you sin after you've been saved, you must, we must, I must, we must confess it and repudiate it, cast it off, cast off that sin. We must forsake it in order to be reinstated in God's favor. So you see that there are so many doctrines and ideas that are floating about in the minds of Christians right now or in the minds of people that are not consistent with the words of Christ or the teachings of Christ. So here we go. Um, the true Jesus never lied or taught false doctrine. So if we believe a lie or a false doctrine and claim it is from Jesus, then we are misrepresenting him. We're misunderstanding him. And we have no right to misrepresent Christ. And actually, we have no right to misunderstand what his teachings are. In other words, it, we are duty bound to know the truth about what Christ taught. The problem of sin and confusion and disunity among those who profess to be Christians is caused by false religion. It's caused by wrong interpretations of the Bible. It is a false Christ of some sort or a false teaching as from Christ which is causing most of the sins and the confusion and the disunity in our churches. The true Christ may cause healthy and wise division, but never unhealthy and unwise division. The true Christ is the great unifier, but he never calls for unity at the expense of violating a single religious principle or a single moral precept. The true Jesus never advocates even a small degree of moral or religious compromise as a means of saving souls, fixing problems, or uniting believers. Jesus told his disciples, he said, quote, Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. That's Luke 11.35. Those are powerful words. To take heed involves careful studying and thinking. We need to take heed and pay attention and make sure that the Christ we trust and obey is the biblical one and not a fraud. Uh, a lot of people think that they're in the light but their light is really darkness it's one thing to be mistaken and think you might you might be mistaken but it's another thing to be mistaken and think you're dead right and there are a lot of people who are dogmatic in their false views that is a dangerous place to be in and a lot of people claim that they're in the light when they are in real darkness. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus said, 
Quote, <clears throat> if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. End quote. That's in Matthew 15, verse 24. Now, blindness is really a darkened understanding. It's You're not seeing straight. You're not seeing right. And blindness stems from a dark heart. In other words, it stems from sinful motives. It stems from selfishness. Um, and we can see this in the Bible. Uh, in John chapter 3, verse 20, we read this. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. What kind of person hates the light? Well, it's the one who's got a sinful heart. He's got a dark heart. He does evil. So if you do evil and you persist in doing evil, then you're going to hate the light. It's kind of like a rat. A rat does not like the light. If you go in a barn and there's all kinds of mice and rats around, uh, they'll be fine. They'll hang right in there. You can walk in that dark barn and they, they won't move. But turn on the lights and you'll see them scrambling. Well, it's the light that reproves, makes uncomfortable those who are in darkness. And so if you're persisting in a dark way of living, you're going to tend to avoid good churches. You're not going to want to come to the light because it's going to remind you of your sins. And that's why they avoid good churches. You wonder why uh, so many people flock to these churches that present a false Christ or teach that it's okay to sin and be a Christian at the same time. A lot of people love these kinds of churches. That's because they don't want to give up their sins. But what happens is you become blind. <clears throat> Here's another verse, John. <clears throat> Gospel of John, verse 17. says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. See, if you want enlightenment, and if you want to avoid being blind, you need to do God's will as you now perceive it to be. So that's the key to undeceiving yourself. Do the will of God as you see it today, as you see it right now. If there's something you know God wants you to do, some person you know you need to apologize to, some practice you know you need to develop, like the practice of Bible reading. If you know these things, you've got to act upon them. And as you act upon them, maybe you know you should pray about a certain matter. Well, don't ignore that. Go ahead and actually pray and ask God to help you. <clears throat> maybe there's a sin you're, uh, you, you've been committing and you know you're not getting victory over it. Pray about it. Ask God to help you. You see, you're acting We've got to do God's will. And as we do God's will, we're going to know the doctrine. In other words, we're going to have good theology. We're going to have a good understanding of the truth as it exists in the mind of Christ. Sin and selfishness are the major causes of religious deception. 
In John chapter 8, we read, Jesus says this, verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So there you go again. You want light? You want to not be blind about things? Start following Jesus. And to follow Jesus means to obey his will. It means to do what he wants you to do. It means to stay in fellowship with him um, by uh, obeying his commands and by reading his word. And then uh, later on in John chapter 8, we read in verse 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. In other words, you're my true disciples if you continue in my word, in my teachings. And then he says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Who is going to know the truth? It's going to be those that continue in his word. They're going to know the truth. Those that apply the, the truth that they know are going to be given more truth. And that's the way to undeceive ourselves. That's the way to become less blind <coughs> and more enlightened in the truth. Now, excuse me, I have to take a drink here. <coughs> So, one who refuses to live up to the divine precepts he is aware of will lack understanding about the true character and teachings of Jesus Christ. Professing Christians who are given to moral bargaining will tend to be blind as to what Jesus requires, as to what God requires. The Apostle Paul spoke of, quote, another Jesus. Let me read it. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 and 4. Paul says, But I fear, he's speaking to the Corinthian Christians. He says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Now this is a, a long sentence, but I believe what this is teaching, let me just give you a, a understanding of what I believe he's saying here. Paul was afraid, because he says, but I fear, he was afraid that the Corinthian saints, the Corinthian Christians, would be corrupted from a sincere and pure devotion to the true Lord Jesus Christ and begin to bear with or tolerate or accept him or those who preached another Jesus. See, he did not want their minds, by the way, their minds, uh, Satan will attack your mind. The battle between you and Satan takes place in the mind. Satan wants to corrupt your mind from the simplicity that is in Christ. The word simplicity means plainness. It means not complex. It means not hard to understand. 
not mixed. That's simplicity. It's the opposite of the other word, subtlety. Because he says here, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through what? Through his subtlety. That means craftiness, slyness, and sneakiness. That's how the devil works. He works imperceptibly. So you will not realize what he's doing to you. And Satan will often give you thoughts, ideas, notions that conflict with the simple truth that is in Christ. All that Satan wants to do to you is separate you from the teachings of Christ. To get you to not have a, a sincere and pure devotion to the Lord Jesus. Now, somebody asked me the other day, and they kind of like were implying that the Bible is hard to understand. Well, I don't believe it is. I believe it is simple. It is plain. It's not complex. It's not hard to understand. And there's a reason why people say that, though. It's because um, they don't want to understand it because a lot of what is taught in the Bible is very plain. In fact, it's a little too easy to understand, and that's why they want to believe in something else. So they come up with alternative explanations for certain texts. You see this all the time, and it takes place in pulpits. Churches all over America do it <clears throat> periodically or do it actually very often. Let me just give you a few examples here. In the Bible, it says, be fruitful and multiply. That's the first commandment you read while you, when you're reading Genesis. You start in Genesis 1, you're going to read a commandment. The first one is be fruitful and multiply. Well, that's a pretty simple commandment. And he gives that command to Adam and Eve or to married people. And that's the only ones who have the right and obligation to be fruitful and multiply, as they are able to, of course. God could shut the womb or prevent children from being born if he so desires. He is sovereign. However, that is a command. And if if you don't um, want children, well, here's the answer. Don't get married. If you don't want children, the solution is don't get married. <clears throat> here's another one. The Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Um, that's a little too plain for many people. So they love to explain it away. And almost every preacher in America, oh boy, they love to either ignore that verse or explain it away or soften it or water it down. And you see that taking place, that kind of thing taking place <clears throat> so often. Um, here's another verse. Uh, there's a verse where God says, be sober. <clears throat> be sober. Well, obviously, if you're going to drink alcohol as a beverage, you're not going to be sober. And by the way, you say, well, I, I'm going to just be a social drinker. I won't drink much alcohol. Well, just remember, one beer usually calls for a second one. And very few people who take that first beer will just stay with that first al alcoholic drink. Often it calls for a second one. Here's another clear verse in the Bible. It says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. That's as plain as can be. It says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Read the chapter. It's down there. 
you know, around verse 10 or 11, around there. And uh, it does say it's a shame for a man to have long hair. So that means Jesus did not have long hair. And it's also a shame for a woman to purposely cut her hair short and to have short hair. That's all part of the movement of Satan to confuse gender distinction. Satan does not want gender distinction. Satan wants to confuse in these matters. And uh, if you read in <clears throat> Matthew chapter 19, we this is what the Lord Jesus says. He says, have you not read that he, the, uh, verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 4, it's, Jesus says, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Did you know that there are only two genders? Male and female. So if you believe there's more than two genders, then you're calling Jesus a liar. And Jesus doesn't lie. And you're saying you're smarter than God if you think there's more than two genders. But also, he says he made them. God made them. So if you don't believe that God made you, you don't believe in creation and you believe in evolution that we came from some lower life form or whatever then again, you're just saying you're smarter than God and you're saying you're smarter than Jesus or you're saying Jesus is a liar or you're misrepresenting the true Christ. So Christianity is all about believing and following not just anyone's Jesus, but the true Jesus. So Paul was afraid that the serpent which would be Satan, would beguile, that means trick or deceive, the Corinthians as he did that to Eve. He deceived Eve. And the way Satan wants to deceive us is get us to believe in something contrary to the Bible. Now, I want to talk about an interesting concept here. We have to be careful of those who teach a false Christ. And I'm at Second John chapter 9 right now. Second John chapter 9. And uh, I'm sorry, there is no chapter. <clears throat> chapter, it's a uh, verse 9. Sorry about that. Whoso, and it's, it reads, Whosoever transgresseth, that means misses the mark, goes beyond, goes beyond the law of God. Whosoever transgresseth and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. A lot of people think, think, well, I want God, but I don't want Jesus. Well, right here it says, if we don't abide in the doctrine of Christ, we don't have God. Okay, and then it goes on and it says, he that abideth or abides in the doctrine of Christ he has both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. In other words, don't encourage him by saying, hey, God bless you, brother. God bless you for your, your I don't fully agree with you, but God bless you. Don't do that. Don't say God bless you to someone who's bringing a doctrine of Christ that is not the true doctrine. 
And then he says, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So we should not contribute to evil doing in any way or contribute to false doctrine. In other words, if a church is teaching false doctrine, it is wrong and it is sinful to give money to that church. Some people say we should always give. No, you got to be careful in how you use your finances and your money. Do not support teachers that are teaching a false Christ or that are teaching doctrine that is inconsistent with the doctrine of Christ. So in order to be able to reject someone who comes to you with a certain doctrine, you need a standard by which to judge that person and his words. And that standard is the Holy Bible, because the doctrine of Christ is made known perfectly in the Bible. So it is imperative that each of us learn the truth of the Bible. And if we do, then if somebody comes to us bringing a false doctrine, we'll be able to detect it very easily, or at least easier. So here we are to reject those and not welcome them and not bid them Godspeed if they teach something that is contrary to the doctrine. And that word doctrine means teaching, that something contrary to the teaching of Christ. So this is not saying that if somebody comes to your door and starts to talk about religion or talk about the Bible, that you have the right to ignore that person. No, you only have a right to ignore him if he's teaching error. Now, obviously, if you can't talk, that's fine. But if there's somebody that comes to you and brings the, tr the true doctrine of Christ, and, and it's interesting and you don't find anything wrong with what he's saying, then maybe you ought to say, hey, let's get together at a more convenient time. But we've got to learn the doctrine of Christ. Now, so it is wrong to entertain those that are in error. That's made very clear there. But I want to bring another verse, and it's in Luke chapter 10 and verse 16. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says this to his followers, his apostles, and his disciples. He says, He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. All right. He's speaking to his followers. And he's saying to them, if they hear you and entertain you and love what you're saying and approve, then they're really listening to me. But if these people come to you and they despise you and they don't want to hear the true gospel, the true teachings of Christ and, and uh, the true word of God, then if they don't want to hear you, then they're really despising not just you. They're despising me. So let us be careful to not reject those that are teaching the truth. And let us be careful to make sure we do reject or ignore 
those who are teaching error or something contrary to the Bible. And so, um, uh, unfortunately, the Roman Catholics have used this verse to teach that they should be listened to and respected as the true people of God. And they kind of teach that their church, they do teach their church, you can't have salvation, you can't have you cannot have Christ unless you're a faithful member of the Catholic Church. The only way, in other words, there's no salvation apart from being affiliated with the Catholic Church. They teach that. And they have used this verse because they think their church, they believe in apostolic succession. They believe that their church comes right from the Apostle Peter. Well, it's easy to know that that is not true. Because all you have to do is read your Bible and compare it with the teachings of the Catholic Church. And you will find many, many discrepancies. And so um, there is no way that the Catholic Church as it exists today is teaching the same things that Christ taught 2,000 years ago. And uh, that's probably a topic for an, another day. But uh, you can easily see. Um, if, if you read the Bible, you'll see a discrepancy. So the key is you've got to make sure that those that you're listening to and hearing and accepting are teaching the truth from the Bible. Okay, so here's our question. Is your Jesus the true and biblical Jesus? You need to ask yourself that. So I got 12 things here. I don't know if we'll ever get through them. But I'll try to get through all of them in this talk. Here's number one. Is your Jesus the uncreated supreme being? Is he the only begotten son of God, the creator of all things? Is he God manifest in the flesh? Is he the almighty? Well, many verses in the Bible show that Jesus is that. If your Jesus is less than God or less than God's son, then your Jesus is false and so is your God because the true God has a son. So if you don't believe in his son, his only begotten son, if you don't believe in him, then you're really not believing in God himself, in the true God, because the true God has an only begotten son. And that means a special, unique son. That's not in the sense of biology. Uh, of course, there's no mother in heaven and there's no father and mother in heaven and they, they had a child biologically and, and you had Jesus. That's not the case. He is his son in his spiritual sense. This is purely spiritual. Jesus is begotten, but not made. God was never, or Jesus, God was never created, but neither was Jesus created. Jesus is one with his Father. Uh, the Bible teaches that there is one tri-personal God, one triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So the Trinity is clearly taught in the Bible. That word Trinity comes from tri, three, and unity. Three and one, united in one, three united in one. And one united in three. 
So there is a distinction of some sort between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, they are all one. And so therefore, we believe there is one God. The Bible says it everywhere, uh, in many places, that there is only one God. So all obstinate idolaters shall experience God's wrath forever. If you don't believe in the true Jesus, then you are believing in an idol. And uh, Revelation 21 8 says he uh it says uh but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and all liars shall have their part which burneth in the uh in the lake of fire shall have their part in the lake of fire number two <clears throat> does your jesus sometimes live or exist substantially, actually, and bodily in a wafer that is consecrated and transubstantiated by a Roman Catholic priest? Does your Jesus live in that host that's been consecrated by the priest? The word transubstantiated is a big term that just means changed. The substance has changed. And they teach that. And uh, that is a definitely a false Christ. Undeniable. Well, if they teach that Jesus actually becomes that wafer, or that wafer actually becomes Jesus, then that's a false Christ. The elements of the Lord's Supper, which are taught in the Bible, are to be used as symbols. <clears throat> the symbols are, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> symbols are uh, bread and the fruit of the vine, the vine. And um, these are to be used only as symbols. Now, Jesus did talk in John 6 that we should, he, he mentioned the necessity for us to be saved if we want to be saved. And if we want eternal life, that we must literally believe in Jesus. <clears throat> we must receive Jesus. And we must eat Jesus. And uh, it does say that. And of course, if you look at the passage and look at it carefully, when he says, I'm reading verse chapter 6, verse 53 here. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood ye have no life in you whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life and i will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed well he is obviously referring to receiving him believing in him in a spiritual sense the reason why is right before that the verse a few verses before that he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And before that, in verse 35 of the same chapter, he says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So to believe on Jesus, to come to Jesus, means to come to his word, to come to him. And to believe on Jesus means to believe his teachings, his doctrines. It means to believe him personally. And 
believe him as he is represented in the Holy Scriptures. And the reason why we know that this is talking spiritual, when he talks about eating the flesh and son of man, uh, the Son of Man, uh, it and you can see it clearly in verse 63 where it says, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now he taught this about a year or two. I believe it's a year before he actually instituted the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was instituted at the Passover. And the Passover was like the day that he died or the day before. It was around that time. But it was just right before he died that he instituted the Passover. John chapter 6 was not mentioned and taught at that time. It was taught in, I believe, the second year of his ministry. Definitely not toward the end of his ministry. So it is not by receiving anything of flesh or of material substance, but only by receiving the spirit and words of Christ that one can obtain eternal life. So if you believe the wafer is the body of Christ, then you're believing in a false Jesus. Number three, does your Jesus demand to have first place in your life? If not, then he is another Jesus. He's not the true Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible will not consent to being loved less than our parents, our spouse, our children, or our best friend. He will not accept as righteous anyone who rejects him as Lord, as supreme authority. He will not share first place with anyone in our lives. However, we should bear in mind that to love parents or a husband less than Christ does not mean we have the right to disobey them in a single lawful demand or in a single morally indifferent demand. Yes, the Bible teaches, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Yes, it teaches very clearly that it is well-pleasing to the Lord for children to obey their parents in all things. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, it says that children are to obey. Their, that means teenagers. That means if you're in, your home, in their home, you are to obey them in all things. And even when you do leave home, you should still obey your parents in all things. Unless, of course, they ask you to sin or to do wrong. But you should always be respecting your parents, even though you're 60 years old, and respecting them. Now, that doesn't mean you necessarily have to, uh, if you're living separate from them, you're not under their roof and you're not under their direct authority. We understand that. But the concept is still there. We should always respect our parents. And if your parents teach sound doctrine and you go against that sound doctrine, you're really going against Christ. The only time it's proper to disobey a legitimate superior or a legitimate authority figure is if he or she requires us to violate a clear binding law of God. So some parents love their children more than Christ. This is wrong. 
that's a form of idolatry. Christ will not consent to being second place in your life. He's either your Lord or he's not your Lord. And if he's not your Lord, then he's not your Savior. So that's why if you find out that you're not following him, the key is to confess and repent and change your ways immediately and make things right. So a lot of parents love their children more than Christ. They choose a church to attend based on the fact that it will provide a supposed benefit for their children rather than on the fact that it will provide sound doctrine and accountability. See, that's the kind of church you want to be a part of. One that teaches the truth and will hold you accountable to that truth. How many churches, pastors are holding their people accountable to live righteously, to live for Christ, to, to do right? Very few churches are doing that. But that's a very important job of the pastor. It's not only to teach, but it is to rule and to rule well. And those, the Bible says those that rule well are worthy of double honor. So to put the, what the children want ahead of what Christ wants, that's putting, the, that's putting young ones ahead of Christ, and we don't want to do that. A church that strictly upholds the moral law and the gospel is more important than a church that provides fun and friends for our teenagers. God does not require parents to give in to or to obey their children. It's the other way around. God commands children to obey and give in to their, their parents, mother and father. If Jesus is not now my Lord, my ultimate ruler in my life, the supreme ruler in my life, if not, then he is not now at present my Savior. This is profound truth that's all found in the Bible. And one good verse that would bear this out is in Luke chapter 14. And let me read it. Luke chapter 14, verse 25, it says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, he's saying he cannot be a Christian because a true Christian is a disciple of Christ. That's what, Christ, that's what a true Christian is. There are very, very few Christians in America right now. That's because there are very few that love Jesus more than father, mother, wife, children. Now it says here, if any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, what? It seems like Jesus is telling us to hate our father or hate our wife and hate children and brethren. So, no, he, he, the word hate here, if you look it up in Noah Webster's Dictionary, it, it can mean a strong dislike. It can mean a dislike. But it can also mean love less. And that's what that word means. And, and I could go into pro proving it in other places because it does say that, uh, like I believe Jacob um, well, the Bible talks about loving Jacob, but Esau, if I hated, doesn't mean he positively hated Esau. It just means he loved Jacob in a degree that he did not love Esau, or the descendants of Jacob and the descendants of Esau. 
So that's that's what that word means, and and I could go into it, but I I don't have the time to go into it right now. So the word hate can mean, and often does, especially in Scripture, to love less. So here's what Christ says. He's saying, if any man come to me and does not love his father, mother, wife less than he loves me, then he can't be my disciple. Christ must be supreme in our lives. Number four, does your Jesus withhold fellowship and saving grace from you while you refuse to do his will in some point? If your Jesus accepts you as righteous while you continue in sin, then you have a false Jesus. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, we read this. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. If we're not working righteousness, if we're not fearing God, respecting God, then we are not accepted with him. So if you want to be accepted by God, you need to repent of all your sins and believe all his words and give your life to Christ. If your Jesus tells you that you can be justified, even while you deliberately violate one of his laws, then your Jesus is a minister of sin. The word minister there means servant. He's a servant of sin. And Christ is not a servant of sin. In Romans chapter 2, verse 13, we read, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. If you want to be justified by God, you must believe in Christ to the point that you obey his law. It's that simple. James chapter 2 verse 10 says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Wow, that's strong stuff there. So, if you break God's law in one point, you know what you're doing? You're rejecting the authority of Christ in that respect. And if you're rejecting the authority of Christ, you're rejecting God. How do you think you're going to go to heaven if you're rejecting God, if you're rejecting his law? Fellowship and spiritual harmony with Christ are possible only if we walk in the light. And you can see that in 1 John. It's very clear in 1 John that if you want fellowship with Christ, you must walk in the light. I read here 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, This then is the message which we heard, have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Okay, there's no darkness in God. He's pure light, pure truth pure holiness. And then it says, if we say with our mouth, if we say that we have fellowship with Christ, with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You may feel you're in fellowship with Christ, but if you're breaking one of his laws, 
Your feelings are misleading you. You're not really right with Christ. And it's the same with me. I'm preaching to myself here. And I need to be reminded of this stuff. And then verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. You want your you want to be cleansed from all your sins? You must have fellowship with Christ. And you want fellowship with Christ? You must walk in the light. That means to walk in the truth of God's word. That is a must. And if not, then we have no fellowship. And then verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In other words, if we say we have no sin in our past, if we say that our record, our past record is one of complete sinlessness, if we say that, then we're deceiving ourselves. Because the Bible says all have sinned. So that's the better way, to, that's the best way to understand this verse. This is very controversial among Christians. A, a lot of people think that it's saying, if we say that we know we're perfectly righteous with God right now, that we deceive ourselves. No, it's not saying that. You can have no sin in your life right now. You can be sin-free right now. It's kind of like God made your eyes so that they're to be free from specks of dirt. If you've got a speck of dirt in your eye, it doesn't belong there. It's going to cause you to be very uncomfortable. Well, you can be completely free from all specks of dirt in your eyes. Well, it's the same thing with the soul. God wants our soul to be sin-free, to be completely obedient to God as we understand his law. And that's all God expects of us, is to love him with all the heart, soul, understanding, with all our understanding. Now, your understanding might be limited. Uh, your strength might be limited. It says to love him with all your strength. Your strength might be limited, and your understanding might be limited, and your mind might be limited. But if you use what you've got in the service of God, and you give what you've got, your capabilities, your powers, you use your human powers to promote the interests of God and to love God, then God sees you as perfect, morally perfect, that is. And um, the concept of moral perfection is taught in many places in the Bible. John Wesley taught it. Charles Finney taught it. A lot of great people taught the concept of moral perfection, which is all it means is Christ-likeness. Jesus commands us to be holy as I am holy. Well, if you're holy, then that means you're morally perfect. And the word holy means free from sin. So I'm reading in verse 9 now, 1 John chapter 1. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from most unrighteousness. Does it read that? No. My Bible says from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's verse 10. So verse 10 gives the um, the explanation of what he is saying in verse 8. Verse 8, he says, if we say we have no sin, what he really means is, if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So verse 10 gives the explanation of verse 8. 
in in that passage. So, um, back to my statement: fellowship and spiritual harmony with Christ are possible only if we walk in the light. The Jesus of the Bible rejects all persistent workers of iniquity, regardless of their profession of faith. And you can read about that in Matthew seven, verse twenty-one to twenty-three. He's going to say from those who knew God's will, they taught the word of God, they spoke in tongues, they cast out devils. But he's he's going to say, "Depart from me, ye that work iniquity." See. It's the iniquity that causes Christ to say, depart from me. So if you're in iniquity, the word iniquity comes from the word inequity. It's, it means if you're living in sin or you're, you're doing wrong, well, Christ will say, depart from me. So that's why it's imperative that we are obeying Christ. In um, John 15, verse 14, we read basically this. We are Christ's friends only if we do what he commands. In John 15, 6, we read, quote, If a man abide not in me, that is, in Christ, he is cast forth as a branch. The true Jesus denies those who deny him, even if they are apostles. And I say that because 2 Timothy 2, 12, Paul is speaking and he says, If we deny him, he also will deny us. And in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The promise of Jesus never leaving and forsaking us is a promise made only to saints, the holy persons. It's not made to sinners. If you're sinning, the Bible says Jesus is separate from sinners. That's found in Hebrews 7. Jesus is separate from sinners. So if you're a sinner right now, you're not connected with Christ. You're not in fellowship with Christ, and you're not on the way to heaven. And I say that to myself too. This is profound truth. This is not being taught in, in our churches like it needs to be. We can see in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 3, and verse 13, that only the saints... And only the faithful in Christ are blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And they are the only ones that are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Only the saints and the faithful in Christ are sealed with that Holy Spirit. There are so many verses that teach this doctrine. And yet so many people in our pulpits are teaching that a life of sin is compatible with a life that is on the way to heaven. And that is simply not true. If you do sin and temptations happen, and there are times when true saints will relapse and be overcome by temptation, and sometimes walk into temptation willfully, there those times may definitely occur. And I know it's happened in my life. I cannot say in the past year that I've lived a life of perfect, uninterrupted obedience to God. I can't say that. But I can say that I've been living habitually for Him, and I'm trying to continue. And when I do fail, I get back up. And that's what we need to do. The Bible says if we forsake God, then He will forsake us. 
That's in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 2. And it's found in other places. Number five, does your Jesus love you enough to speak needful truth, to condemn your bad deeds? Does he love you enough for that? Condemn your bad deeds and to chasten you for your sins? If not, then your Jesus is another Jesus. He's a fraud. He's an imposter. Because of his great love and concern for us, the true Lord Jesus Christ keeps back no necessary truth. Here is one of his truths. Quote, And if thy right eye offend thee, cause thee to sin, that's what that means, offend. If thy right eye cause thee to sin, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Matthew 5, verse 29. Jesus is here saying that we should take all proper measures to avoid sources of temptation, or else we may sin and therefore be cast into hell. See, Jesus speaks of hell in this verse. Hell is a very real place. The Lord Jesus rebukes, he reproves, the King James word is upbraid. He upbraids, that means reproves. He, it means to scold, literally. Jesus will rebuke, scold, reprove, and chasten believers who go astray. He's not always nice, in other words. And that's the problem. We can't always be nice with people. We have to love them and love them enough to speak truth to them. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how... Uh, we should all be. We should love people enough to tell them the truth. So he abrades us and he chastens. He does this. How does he do this? He does this through various means. He uses his words, his providential dealings. How many times have we gotten into some kind of bad bad uh, predicament and and then we say, oh, Lord, help me. I'm in trouble. Um, these are God's providential dealings to help wake us up, to help us realize that we really need God. We need divine help. So he does, he wakes us up, teaches us and rebukes us and chastens us through providential dealings, through his words, through his servants, through his delegates, through his representatives, and even sometimes through his enemies. He uses all these people or circumstances, to rebuke us, to discipline us. And why? Because he wants to improve our understanding and improve our walk with God. He wants us to become better persons. So parents, husbands, teachers, pastors, employers, civil authorities, these are all God's delegates, God's servants, if you will, God's ministers. God's representatives. And these people, many of them, have been given God-given authority over us, and they are vested with the right to punish us for our misdeeds, and of course, for our own good. Even if they abuse their authority, we can still receive much benefit from them. So the next time your parent, your husband, your teacher reproves you or disciplines you. Your pastor may discipline you. He may ask you. He may bring up an issue that you need to deal with and you don't want to deal with it. So he's going to ask you, well, I'm sorry, you just can't 
uh, be part of our group anymore. That's called church discipline. And they may have to do that. Employers do that all the time. And all these people are authority figures that God has put in our way for our good and for the good of society. So the concept of disrespect for authority, if you have a problem with proper authority, respecting them, then watch out. It means your heart is not right with God. Number six, does your Jesus tell you that you must fear him? If not, then your Jesus is not the biblical one. There are many verses that teach us to fear God and even to fear Jesus. To fear him means to take him seriously. It means to highly respect him. It means to reverence him. It means to be afraid to displease him because of his rightful power to judge us and to punish us both here and hereafter. You may feel you're not condemned by God right now. That doesn't mean you're not condemned. Uh, the time of judgment is not in this life. It's in the next life. So that's why it's so important that we search our own hearts. The true and biblical Jesus Christ has power to destroy. We read about that in Matthew 10, 28. He says, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's why we fear him. He has the power. Jesus has the power to cast into a furnace of fire, and he's going to do it. And he has the power to make war. Revelation 19, he is going to return to this earth and make war against the forces of Antichrist. So if you're lining up with the forces of Antichrist, you say, I'm not doing that. Most Americans are lining up with the forces of Antichrist. Is your job, if you're a police officer, are you are you uh, obeying disobedient commands? Are you intruding into somebody's home and and weakening the authority of that home, whether it be the mother, if it's a single parent, or the father? The father is the authority in the home. How many police officers are giving tickets to fathers and and because these fathers spank their children or have taken a stand with their wives? And how many uh, police officers are arresting the man because he's daring to love his family and and to discipline in love those that are in his home. He has the right to do that. And if civil authorities interfere with the right of the man to rule in his home, those civil authorities are serving Antichrist, they're serving the devil. So do you fear God more than your losing your job how many people are just so afraid of losing their job and because of it they take measures they give in to government mandates that are potentially very harmful like the vaccine mandate was potentially very harmful in my opinion it's not just potentially harmful it is harmful i'm at the point right now where i believe all vaccines are untrustworthy and dangerous all of them that's where I believe, and I, I got reason to believe it. And uh, they're trying to kill us with these vaccines. But anyway, I'm off track here. I'll, let me get back on track. If the wrath of God is something to dread, then so is the wrath of the Lamb. And the Bible talks about the wrath of the Lamb. That's speaking of the Lamb of God. That's Jesus. Now, lambs are the most innocent and harmless animals. But, and Jesus, when he came the first time, he came as a lamb. When he's coming back, he's coming back as the lion from the tribe of Judah. 
He's not coming to be a lamb. He's not going to come to die for us. He's going to come to destroy unrepentant mankind, and it will be severe. God governs people through motives. There's three motives by which he governs us. He tries to get us to obey him. One motive is love, the other one is hope, and the other one is fear. Love for God is the most powerful motive that compels us to do God's will. The Bible says, for the love of Christ constraineth us. That means it, it compels us. And if you just stop and think about it, let's say somebody gave you a billion dollars or a million dollars, would you not have respect and love for that person? Well, Jesus gave us something far more than a million dollars. He gave us eternal life by dying on the cross for us. And since he died for us, we owe him love, a lot of love. And just the knowledge that he went all the way to the cross for us so as to atone for our sins, that ought to inspire us, motivate us, compel us to do God's will. Hope. Hope is another motive by which God seeks to move us to action. The word hope means a well-founded expectation. So the hope of future happiness for ourselves and for others acts as a motive to obey God. The hope of heaven, the hope of seeing Christ, that ought to inspire us, compel us, move us to obey him. Fear is yet another motive that God uses to stir us up, to serve him and to obey him. The Bible says, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. The Bible says also, that's in uh, Proverbs 16, verse 6, and then also Psalm 19, 9, it says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So, sometimes I'll admit, sometimes I lack love for God, and sometimes I lack hope. The hope of heaven or the hope that things will get better, sometimes I do. But if you lack love and hope, then perhaps the fear of God may supply the needed motivation to do right. You know, the fear of hell, the fear of God saying, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, that has a way of compelling you to, to do God's will. So I'm going to end right here because I have some more. This is part one of this topic. I think I've gone pretty long here but uh we we're going to cover next time lord willing uh I, i've got six more points to to speak on this issue so i just want to say thank you for listening and for being a part of the neurological deep dive podcast i'm don god bless you take care